Welcome to the Mosh Zone episode 150, week 150, volume 150, number fucking 150. How you going guys, how's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Chris of Cruel Hand and also of Terror and that will be coming up later in the show. Let's kick off with feedback, questions, what's been going on. The big thing, the noticeable thing, is we have reached 150 episodes. Three years in, 150 episodes. Mind-blowing, insane, incredible, and fucking exciting. I have to give a big shout-out, big thank you to every single guest that's given their time and energy to the show. But I also have to give a big thank you and a shout-out to every single one of you that has listened to the show. Whether you're new been with us since day one, thank you. So a lot of love, a lot of respect and a lot of appreciation to not only the guests we've had, our future guests, but all of you listeners as well. It's been great, let's kick on, here's to another 1,050. Not much else to talk about, so let's kick into the main part of the show. This week I got to sit down with Chris of Cruel Hand and also of Terror. First thing I've got to say, thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. So who a cruel hand, who a terror? I really hope at this point, if you've been a part of the Mosh Zone, you'd know these bands. But if you don't, never stress. Time for a little bit of education. So Cruel Hand have been an active hardcore band since around 2006. They got two EPs and five albums to their name. Terror have been active for a long time, and Chris joined Terror in 2017, and he's been part of one album so far. For me, as a diehard hardcore fan, a hardcore boy at heart, having Chris on the show was great for me, but also essential for the show. It's in depth, it's laid back, it's exciting. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I hope you do too. That chat with Chris is coming up now. So everyone gets the same kind of start-off question, and that is, I don't mean a heavy band, but when I ask this question, it's any kind of band. Do you remember at a young age Mm -hmm. discovering music because of a certain band and you became so into that band that you were like obsessed at a young age? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, uh, I, I probably could pinpoint the moment, um, that I knew that I was like, this was it music, uh, what, you know, this was going to be my, my life after this. And that was, it was in, um, Wayne's world one. Mm-hmm. With uh, when they were in the fuck, the, like early on in the movie, when they're in the backseat, of, you know, the the Queen part when they're singing <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody, that was that was everything, that clicked, and when that happened, I mean, I must have been when did that movie come out? Like, uh, like ninety oh, uh, ninety two or ninety three or or, mm. or either way, I'm like I'm a little kid, and that part happened. I was like, I who is this band? Like, I need to know what this is. This song is is amazing. And then immediately I got like, I got uh, a couple cassettes, a couple Queen records, and 
you know, I'm probably like 10 or something at this time. And, and then I got this, uh, you know, like the wrapping paper, you know, the Christmas wrapping paper, Mm -hmm. you know, the two, the tube, when you're done with the wrapping papers, uh, I took that tube and now that was like my guitar and I would crank (laughs) these queen tapes on my Walkman and I would just rock out on this piece of cardboard. And that was my guitar. And so that was the moment. And then from that point on, I was like bugging my, you know, bugging my parents. Like, oh, can you, you know, when can I get a real guitar? Like pushing for that. And, uh, and that just kind of set, that got the ball rolling. That movie, that scene, that was, that was everything at that point. Can you, can you think back as to why guitar? Because I mean, that, is, that song, that moment is very guitar driven, but do you think there was yep. a reason why guitar drew you in? Not drums, not the vocals initially. Do you think there was a reason for guitar was what you really wanted to do initially? Wow. I have no idea, actually. That's really, that's kind of a good question. Why was it guitar at that moment? Um, it's a good riff. It's a good riff. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it was just like, yeah, because it was such a guitar-driven song, and it's got the solo in there, and it's just like, and the end riff of that of that song is fucking amazing, and you're and uh, man, I think maybe that must have been it, you know? Yeah, because it wasn't it wasn't me being drawn to the vocal part of it, or me being drawn to the drums, or you know, a lot of these drummers out there, it's the same thing. Like drums, like you know right away if you're a drummer, mm-hmm. you know right away that you want to be banging those things in in the back of the of the band for some reason, and yeah, I guess I knew it wasn't drums. And I probably, I don't even think I knew what a bass, that bass was even a thing. <laughs> uh, and I was, and I think as far as being a singer, I was never like that kid in, at home who was like, who was, who was singing anyways. So I think, yeah, I think it was just like, by you know, the guitar, that's what I, the, my focus was. That's what I was hearing at that moment in time. And I was like, and the whole, like, you know, you're always like playing air guitar or whenever a song comes up. And, uh, man, I want to say, yeah, I think the focus for some reason I was drawn there and it wasn't those other instruments. It was, it was guitar. I don't know why, but could have been something about it. Yeah. Could have been that movie too. I mean, that movie, I mean, God, it's probably been at least five to 10 years since I've seen it. It is also a very guitar driven movie. I mean, you think about Myers's character is all about getting that guitar from the store. So it's kind of... Kind yeah. of understandable. It's like that time is just that period in music. It was about like that, like that. Um, what do they call it? That like superhero, like the super strat guitarist. Mm. And mm. it was all about like you know the hair and the guitars and like you were you were a fucking you were larger than life if you could if you could really rip on a guitar. You know, it was really about about just being able to perform on a guitar in that way. Uh, and maybe I think that's probably also part of it. You could, you could, you could have a guitar and you could really like bring a performance to it, like a physical performance to it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's always also been a part of me, you know, the, like the performer part. I think that was always a part of me as a kid. And then, uh, also the music. So, um, you know, you see these pictures or these images and videos at that time of just like of people really being able to just put their whole, their whole like 
essence into this instrument when they're playing it. What about um, your musical discovery? So you're kind of, you're getting into Queen and you're doing the air guitar mm-hmm. work. So how does your, <laughs> how does your musical taste and discovery develop? Like, are you someone that from that point started looking in magazines, like, or was it all TV radio based? I mean, how did you become someone that's now, you know, known for hardcore punk stuff? Um, I think so. Yeah. Early on, you know, I think there was a lot of radio, um, at that time, uh, our area, our state, um, got, a like an alternative rock radio station. It was like the first, the first like real deal, like alternative rock radio. Um, so now, uh, I discovered this band called green day mm. and these the song basket case and, and, and also MTV, you know, you're seeing that video for, for basket case and these green day songs. And I'm like, this is, this is something, this is resonating with me. And, uh, so it was green day dookie mm. after that, like ob- obsessed with that to the point where, uh, the kids in the, in the neighborhood, I would, I, I would gather up the kids and we'd go into their garage, uh, when their parents were, were uh, you know, were at work and we would set up, this is before any of us could actually play an instrument. So we're just setting up the boom box with green day, with a cassette, green day dookie. And now we're setting up whatever we can, you know, gas cans and like five gallon buckets. And like, those are the drums. Uh, I got a little bucket with a, like, with like a, a wooden dowel with like a, uh, a brush on the end. That's like the microphone for me. And I've got a rake in my hand and now we're pressing play on the boom box. And we're, and we're just like, we're, we're pretending we're green day, you know, cover to cover front, you know, first song to the last song. And we're just rocking out. We're just these little ass kids like ripping on these rakes and buckets in this garage. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and we had a band of the, our, the name of the band was called yellow five. You know what yellow five is? What's that? So yellow five at the time, it was this like rumor that yellow five was like a food coloring or an ingredient in, in Mountain Dew that would like lower your sperm, lower your sperm count or something like that. Or like, (laughs) that was just like this like urban legend where I'm like, that's a great name. That's going to be the name of our band. We're called yellow (laughs) five. And, and it was just crazy. It must've been crazy to see, to come home, like to be their parents and come home and see like all the neighborhood kids just like ripping on, on like rakes and brooms in the garage, (laughs) just going crazy. So what about getting a guitar? Like you're obviously, at this stage, uh, you're mimicking the bloody instrument. Surely at some stage someone said, look, let's just give Chris a bloody guitar and then it doesn't look weird. <laughs> right. Um, so that was, uh, I think it was 93, 94. So I was like third or fourth grade. And I had just been bugging my parents forever to get this guitar for me. Uh, it was like, it was called, a, it was like a, washburn lion or something it was just like a kid's like practice guitar came with like a little crappy amp and uh and i would just now i'm actually i lost interest right away because now they want to put me in in like in a in a guitar like get lessons Mm. and and so now i've taken a couple lessons and he's teaching me like green day long view and and these songs and i just can't i can't be bothered with it i'm like you know, I couldn't focus on, on, on that, on that aspect. And like, 
uh, I think plus I was like real little. It was hard to like to uh, to make the chords with my hands, and I was getting frustrated with it, and and just trying to focus. And so the guitar ended up in the freaking closet, you know, <laughs> in our house, just like it was nothing for for another like few years. So I I had given up on that actually, and it wasn't until a few a few years later in sixth grade where we're rediscovering uh not rediscovering music but we discovered like punk rock and hardcore you know we're kind of like moving on from like the radio rock and we end up at this uh this this show on accident this like hardcore show and now we're like we've we go to the show we think it's like we don't know what what it is we're wearing like you know at this point we've already gone to like we've seen bush in concert we were going we're like full-on like alternative rock kids you know um and so we go to this show it's like a hardcore show we're like 11 or 12 and that changed that flipped the script now it's like oh shit like i'm shaving my head and i'm wearing combat boots and like cut off cargo like camos and and I'm like this this is something else this is something else. So now we're like, we've got like a little, uh, a little click in school. And we're like, now we, we need to start this band again, or we need to start a band now. So I'm digging the guitar out of the closet. I have no idea how to play the thing. And we, and we have like this first practice and none of us even know how to play our instruments. We're just like, we're just like making noises on guitars. <laughs> There's no drummer. I think it's just like two guitars and like a friend like yelling. But none of, but no one really knows how to do any of it. But we we had recorded it on a boombox, and we go to school, and and the kid we press we play it for kids at school, and they're like they can't believe that we have this band. They're like, oh my god, this is amazing. But it's not it's just noise. But they're like, <laughs> you guys, you guys have this band, and and like we're like we're like taking orders you know we're trying to sell demo tapes and things things like that and like kids are just bugging out that we've got this band. so so that was that was kind of like this weird almost like an entrepreneurial like moment mm. early like very early on and i think a lot i think uh that comes with with punk rock and hardcore you learn that d that do-it-yourself ethic like early on you know and that kind of like I, I've, I've always said like if you could learn those things that you learn in punk and hardcore if you when like you um, kind of step into the real world with those with those ethics you can excel beyond like most of the people like around you just because you got that you've had it in you since you were a kid and and, and uh, it's really cool it's interesting it is it, it, it's I think it's very much you know I'm not speaking ill of metal bands but it very much is a mm -hmm. hardcore as you said punk rock ethic you know work hard mm -hmm. put in the yards grind at it and the harder you work yeah you will start to see the rewards what mm -hmm. what about you know you mentioned how you know you were like an alternative kid and then you kind of by accident went to a hardcore punk rock show what yeah what about that show do you think made you flip the switch and kind of stylistically change at that point? Man, what was it? I think maybe it was just the, that the aggression that was, that was there. It was like that. It, it, it was something that had like, that had teeth to it. Mm. You know, it was like you left there being like, 
you you had something you had this little secret that none of the kids at school had any had in their wildest dreams couldn't imagine what you had just witnessed that night and mm-hmm. i think it was like a pride having a pride in that and being like okay we have something that no one no one else has and um and now you've got this you're kind of keeping it to yourself you're keeping like you don't want to share it with other people outside of, of your friends like this is like your thing uh so yeah maybe maybe it was that but it was a it, it was an there was enough magic in that night to be like to just steer us off into a different into a different path for some reason it was just and honestly i can't even really remember a lot of those times because it was so long ago but it was like i just remember being dark and it was and there was like energy and it was like there was no like you know, between the, the audience and the stage, it was like one thing, you know, you were part of, you were part of the show kind of, uh, which was very, very different from those big, like alternative rock concerts that we had been to already. Now you mentioned, you mentioned you're in high school and you're obviously doing the high school band thing, which, you know, you know, not to say everyone does it, but let's say 90% of people do it. But are you yep. at school only caring about this kind of music thing or are you looking at a path for a career because I mean I know from not only guests but just from my own experience when you're at high school you're kind of told you know you need to have your path set out you need to know what you're doing and music isn't Mm -hmm. a path so where are you at at high school with your education in high school I'm I'm you know I'm not like a terrible student but you know I was never on you know on a roll or anything so I guess I was just kind of coasting by uh, there was no pressure at home f- to do anything beyond, beyond, you know, a lot of kids get the pressure from, from at home and it'd be like, okay, we need to set you up for, for college and we need to get your, get you ready for this and your transcripts. And you've got to be going to the guidance counselor and, and they're going to help you. And like, I don't know there was none of that. There was, I didn't feel any prep. Maybe, maybe there was, uh, outside influences coming to me and, and tell me that, but, for, but it didn't stick for sure. Like there was no, I didn't feel a pressure to like, uh, to, um, pursue like, like school beyond high school. Like what, um, I figured I knew that I was going to be playing music. Like I just, I, I knew it. I didn't care what people were saying. Like I, I knew that's what I was doing. Uh, and, and that's what happened. You know, I think if you're really, if you really in your, in your, in your heart and in your mind, if you just, if you believe that's, that's the move, like you're going to, you're going to move in those directions. Like maybe even subconsciously put yourself in those positions. Like I knew I was going to work at the local record store when I turned 16, you know, I was hanging out the record store every day and just at first just buying records and then making friends with the people who work there and, and then just hanging around and then, Oh, you're old enough to work here and you're here every day. Do you want a job? You know, it was like, it felt like if looking back, it felt like something out of like a empire records or something out of, <laughs> out of a movie or something like, so it was like, I had set myself up for that. And now I've got this part-time job, like at the cool record store and I got my band in school and, and we're just dedicated to the music. And just be like, this is it. We don't care about 
anything. Like we hate school. We don't play sports. You know, we're not like cool. We just got the music, each other, and the shows that we go to on the weekends. This is it. This is what I'm doing. And and personally, I think I think maybe I was a little different than the than most of kids at school where where um where they most kids would feel the pressure to oh go to the guidance counselor they're going to set you up they're going to let you're going to look at schools you're going to look at this and we're going to and you'll be ready to go like i just like i just did not care at all about that for some reason maybe i should have i don't know it just didn't affect me like that it's weird i think that's great man i, I, I think that's refreshing yeah. um you yeah. know you've got you've got all this stuff going on in the early bands uh, high school bands when does it kind of transition into you know your first real foray into the industry with outbreak when did that transition happen um so our band in high school uh uh like i guess high school and then the year kind of uh after graduation we continued this band in high school that we had and now we're linking up with these the surrounding scenes in the area, uh, just in Maine. And at that time, you could play. There was probably six or seven different cities or towns just in our little state of Maine where you could, you know, the scene was really good at that time. Where you could go and you could make a connection and you could play in their town. And then, and then next weekend you're in someone else's town and and you're just making, uh, you're just networking. And eventually, we end up in this town. Uh, Kingfield, which is near a ski resort, Sugarloaf, and uh, this kid Ryan O'Connor, the singer who was the singer of the Outbreak, he's setting up these shows in this little mountain town, and the shows are really cool. And there's like there's like a real there's like a hardcore scene there. Uh, he also has at that time a message board called xryanx.com, and and at that at that time, early two thousands, you know the whole message board thing was was a pretty uh, pretty crucial thing that's where you're like sharing ideas or whatever talking shit or 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 uh you know posting your shows and so he had this really popular message board he had this scene and now he's got this band called outbreak and um yeah i guess i think in 2003 they asked me to join the band uh my my band at school had kind of fallen apart uh after we graduated in 2002 and right away, um, I think through his networking and the message board thing and booking the shows, he's got these connections where we're already we're set and ready to to just get in a van and or a car or anything and play a show wherever we're asked to. And we're we're driving twenty four hours to Florida. Next thing I know, we're driving twenty five twenty four hours to Florida, and we're like playing two shows to drive back home. But that's the shit that you know that's what it was about. It was about just like, fuck it. Like, let's get in the car and, and do it. And, and that was just, yeah, at, you know, outbreak started to pick up like a lot of, a lot of momentum because we're these young kids we're playing like, you know, fast, aggressive, hardcore, uh, signing to bridge nine, who was also like, you know, this, this big deal, you know, obviously a very, uh, um, successful label, they're just starting out at this time, and they're kind of like picking up uh, the momentum as well. And now we're joining up with them, and we're 
it's just kind of snowballing. You know, all the bands on that label are kind of gaining. Uh, you know, there's a the buzz just with everything connected to them, and we're releasing those records and we're getting opportunities to, to tour all over. We're going to Europe, uh, and it's just you know goes from just one thing after another. Well, it's not. It's it, it's quite a quite a thing that you were a band that were, you know, we mentioned it earlier about the hard work, but you're a band that was locally trying to make an imprint, and then you obviously at some stage realised that you didn't just want to be local heroes; you wanted to kind of get out and about. And mm-hmm. is that something that? because you saw in your local scene other bands were getting out and about or is it something that was your own initiative i think it was it was uh just a vision a vision that that ryan really had like and uh because we weren't seeing you know we we had these scenes but these bands weren't leaving maine and and going on tour really i think we were like, like we were one of the first bands to really to take it to this like national level and be like, and kind of put Maine on the map in that way. Um, so, so maybe that motivation came from like the fact that there was nothing happening, you know, that we wanted to be that first band to really take it to the next level. Like we wanted to, to prove that like that, uh, that yeah, Maine is like, you know, vacation land and and it's a this beautiful place and 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 the wilderness but like we're a fucking crazy hardcore band and, and we're going to take it to the next level and we want to show you what what we can do for hardcore and i think that was a lot of the motivation just being like just to prove it to yourself and be like yeah like i look back and i'm like it's crazy to think that we got out of this you know we got out of this place because a lot of those kids you were in school with like you know, 80% of these kids, like they just, when you're from these little towns and these, and these, you know, in these rural places, you don't leave those places. You, you stay there and, and that's it. That's it mm-hmm. for you. So it's crazy to think that sometimes to think that we were able to take it out of Maine and do, and do what we did. While you were in the band, do you do you feel like the band had reached a level where it was starting to create a name for itself, not only in the scene but with fans of the scene in general? Um, yeah, I think we were we were we were a name. Like you know, whether you uh, whether you liked us or not, you knew who we were. Um, you know, we were like a touring machine, so we were going to be like you know we were going to be in your area with whoever and chances are like, we're going to be supporting a band that you, that you went out to see. Maybe you didn't want to see us, but, or maybe we came through headlining. Uh, but yeah, we were, you know, a name that in that time, you know, that like you, like if you thought bridge nine records and hardcore new England hardcore, like you knew outbreak was, was a force, you know? Mm. Now the start of, Cruel Hand um, came around 2006 and obviously everyone that knows Cruel Hand knows that you don't play guitar, you're the vocalist. Mm -hmm. So what was the transition um, 
to getting Cruel Hand going? Was it simply that you wanted to start experimenting as a vocalist? Was it an opportunity that came up that you couldn't resist? Like, how did Cruel Hand come about as you're in Outbreak doing your thing? Um, I think it was just uh, the, uh, the, the urge to, to start uh, playing music that was kind of... Um, just a just a little more you know outbreak was you know hardcore punk um and we were personally i had been listening to uh, you know some heavier stuff like you know terror and madball and 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 uh just stuff that was a little more just less punk you know but um and i was writing a lot of that music on guitar and also, yeah, to be like, hey, I want to like to try out this this frontman thing. I want to like like these guys look like they're having like a really good time up there. Like, let me see, let me take a stab at it. I got these songs. Um, let's just jam and try to put this band together. Uh, but yeah, it was it was out of being like, okay, I want to start playing stuff that had a little more like a harder edge, you know, that was a little less punk. Um, you know, honestly, I wasn't listening to, uh, I was always listening to like closer to like, you know, the harder stuff anyways, you know, I obviously I loved like, uh, the bad brains and the descendants and like, and minor threat and these bands, but I was leaning towards like the harder stuff. And so, you know, what was that's what what was it like for you to become a vocalist? I mean, did you, did you look at taking lessons? Did you kind of try and sing in the mirror? I mean, it's quite a thing to, (laughs) it's quite a thing to suddenly go from ripping up the guitar for so many years to being Mm -hmm. a front man. It's quite a different transition. So what was your position with learning to not just be a guy that was a singer, but a guy who, as you know, not without blowing smoke up your ass, but you have the yeah. chops now. <laughs> Dude, it was, it was scary as hell, man. It was scary. Like, like those, some of those first shows I would wear, like I would, I would wear like a winter coat, you know, with the hood up, like sunglasses on, like not to look like weird or, or, or try to think I was cool. Like I was trying to hide. <laughs> I was trying to, you know, so that's that weird, that's that weird part of me that, that wants to be, wants to be, wants to be the front man, wants that kind of attention. But at the same time, it's this weird um, dynamic that I also don't want that. I don't, I want, like, I'm shy and I, and I'm, and I'm like, it's a very odd thing. And it's an internal thing with me where like, I, I want those things, but at the same time, I don't. Um, so yeah, it, that took a lot of time to, um, to be able to get up there and, and, you know, when the, when the, when the songs are, 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 are going, um, I could just scream my head off, jump around, mosh, and, you know, do that whole thing. But for me, it was, it was like so hard to be able to be that front man to like the same time I wanted to be able to say and speak with confidence in between songs and say something of substance to the people watching. And, that was always, I still struggle with that. 
I still have such a hard time with that. You know, you got to have guys like Bain, uh, Aaron Bedard from Bain, who like, uh, you know, a great, amazing front man, a good friend of the band. And, and we were like brother bands and you see him up there every night and he just knows what to say and how to say it. And you're like, damn, how do I get that? Like, how, how do I, uh, how do I like conjure that, that inner Aaron Bedard, you know? Um, and then, and then on the actual like performance side of, of, of singing, that's a learning process even to this day. Like I'm still trying to figure it out. I feel, I feel now in this downtime, I feel stronger than ever, you know, being in the studio, like with the last, with the EP that we just did, like, and the downtime that I've had to really be able to focus on it. Um, I feel stronger than ever. I feel like everything I've done up to this point has been, uh, like, uh, I don't know what you'd call it. Just kind of like sub subpar to what I, to what I'm actually capable of doing. Like when I, I can't listen to without a pulse because I don't know what I was doing. I was just like, I was just winging it, screaming. I blew my voice out like on the first day in the first take. And then that's what I had, you know, clearly I didn't know what I was doing. And when I listen to it, I'm just like, Oh, that's me. Like it's, it's so different than, than obviously than, than even without a pulse to prying eyes, I sound completely different. So, so it's like, we're all, you're anyone listening to the band. You're like, when you listen to record to record, you're, you're, you're learning as, as we learn, you're listening to our progression and our progress. And like, yeah, it, it's crazy to look back and to think that, damn, I want to get out there now because I feel great now, you know, with all this downtime and like I'm in the car and I'm singing and I'm like, and um, I feel like I'm learning. I've le- like, I'm, I'm in a really good place now. I feel like it's crazy. You should have, you, you know, not just Bane, but you should have looked across at, you know, a Vogelism. You should have brought, you know, more, more stage dives in the fallbacks <laughs> oh, and stuff. Oh, he, he, he just, Vogel's got this, this, Aura. This aura, yeah. This this yeah. aura where it's just like when he's up there, like he is in command. He's in command of of everyone watching. Like he has an ability. You're born with that. You can't teach that. You know. So there's certain things that that like you just don't have. He... But as go ahead. No, go go. Uh, I forgot what I was gonna say. <laughs> Well, he, you know, he, the saying he has an aura, I don't think people really understand. You know, I've seen Terra over 10 times and the aura is always there. And to know that I've been nervous two times doing this podcast and one was when I had him on the show in the first 50 episodes, <laughs> dude has an aura even when you're bloody talking to him. You're so just like encapsulated. Yeah. Yes, dude. It's it's crazy, and and that's just something you're born with, you know. I got frustrated as as a vocalist, like for a while. I think, like, you know, um, I always wanted to to like to attempt doing, uh, you know, as the the more like the melodic vocals and things like that. And I got to a point where I had, I feel comfortable with it now, but some when you're in the studio and you're attempting those things like it's a real humbling experience because you're like if you don't got it you don't got it and for a while i was like i don't got this like and they're doing the best they can to like 
to fix you, to like fix everything you've done and, and to like, to coach you through it. And I think for like, especially with the negatives, I was shooting way higher than what my, with the ability that I had. And like a lot of this stuff, I don't think I could do at that time or for years later, even to, to, to like perform that stuff live. Um, but after your world listen, I made a point to be like, okay, we're taking this time off. We took a break after that record. I got an acoustic guitar and I just like, I just learned, taught myself, you know, like 10 Oasis songs and like, you know, songs with like open chords and, and just cool, like Tom Petty tunes and, and stuff that you could just jam on in your house. And, and just, you know, I could teach myself. I could, I could like try to relearn everything that I thought I knew and just kind of like, and focus on that with, with the downtime. And then when we went back in the studio and uh, a few years later, and we did the never be whole seven inch, uh, the guys were like in the band, they were like, Oh damn, like you actually could pull that. You actually sang that chorus and it sounds pretty good. And, and there's no real, like, like auto tuning or anything like that. Like you, you actually got something like what happened, you know? And that's just comes from that practice and repetition. That was the time I was able to, that was the downtime I had. And, and that's what I was doing. When did you, you know, obviously your biggest critic is yourself. Um, mm-hmm. But when did you decide that kind of it was going to be cruel hand or nothing kind of thing? Because if you're kind of a little bit second guessing yourself, which I think create ends up creating the best art when you push yourself like that. But when did you decide that, look, despite all that cruel hand is what I want to do and outbreak's not going to do it for me anymore. Um, I guess. When was that? 2006 or 2007. I think there was like a brief period. There was probably a year where there was like an overlapping, um, period of uh the, the, you know the two bands mm. um i think it probably just got to a point where you know outbreak had been had been going so hard uh that you know you start to it's like a it's like a family kind of thing you know and you can't get away you know you're just kind of it's almost like you're stuck with these guys and like I said, like 90% of it is just being able to, to hang. And um, there were certain guys in the band who had more more responsibility in the band. Uh, for me, it was just like, it was literally just hanging out until it was time to hit the stage. But there are other guys who are like, who are, who, there's definitely some pressure to be, to like, uh, you know, we had one guy who was like, who was like basically driving all the time or like Ryan, who was like, he was booking the, you know, booking the tours and he was like settling the shows or we, or, or like he was very hands-on with, with everything. Um, and I think for me, I didn't realize that that's a lot of pressure for, for one person. And, and if you're getting like kind of a, you know, if I'm feeling like, so you know weird vibes from people or something like that in the band i think at the time i didn't realize that maybe oh shit you got a lot of pressure riding on you to really like drive this train um and personally i was just like 
I made a decision to be like, okay, I, I gotta, I gotta like step, like, I can't hang, I can't hang with with some of these guys. Like, I need to step away, and and I've got this thing on the on the uh, bet on the on the side. Luckily, I'm just gonna jump into this and t- and and like, sorry, like I'm gonna like, if I'm leaving you like hanging here, but something's not working out. But I think looking back, it was like it was more of a me thing. You know, it wasn't so much. Um, I think at the time it was me pointing fingers when really it was like, I should have been looking at myself and being like, you know, because there was kind of like some weird, there was a, there was a years where like, I didn't even speak to Ryan. You know, it was kind of like, we had even played uh, a handful of shows together where we weren't even like, now we're like, cruel hand outbreak and we're we're like in the same venue and we're like i feel like i'm like all weird and awkward and i'm like kind of avoiding people you know because it was like just this weird thing where it's you've spent so much time and now you've that you've got this divorce you've separated you're trying to stay together for the kids you separated and now you're both trying to continue uh, and try to make the best of, of what you have left. I don't know if that answers your question, but it does, man. It does. And it shows, okay. it shows maturity to be able to look back, um, in reflection and hindsight and know those things, you know, some people. Oh yeah. And, and, and we've, and we've like, you know, we've, we're like on best terms ever now, obviously, you know, it's been a few years too, where I've reached out and, and we've been able to like to squash all that. So it's, yeah, it's been cool. Now, you know, so you go to full focus with Cruel Hand, and I feel like Without a Pulse um, didn't really make the imprint, but I feel like Prying Eyes and Lock and Key with a link up with Bridge Nine, they're, they're fucking huge, huge fucking albums for people in the hardcore industry. They were, they were albums that were not only the frantic in-your-face hardcore, but it had the metallic edge that not a lot of people were doing. And mm-hmm. the metallic edge I'm talking about right. is, is the cliche Metallica kind of feel. Yeah. Um, yeah. Were those albums for the band as important as, for me as a fan, they feel like they were for the band? Yeah, for sure. Like, it, yeah, like Prying Eyes, uh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, to this day, it's crazy um, to think that you know, Prying Eyes. I guess yeah, you could say it made this. It made quite a like a impact when it when it came out. And to this day, like a lot of people cite that as the Cruel Hand record, you know. Um, and yeah, I guess the uh, those two records. It's funny. It is yeah. When people think Cruel Hand, they think those two records. And those two records are very different from each other. Mm. Like, like Lock and Key has more of that, that Metallica. Like, that was a conscious decision to be like, Metallica, Pantera, let's scoop the mids out of these guitars. You know, we want them to sound like, like um, crazy. And to the point where like the engineer is like, no, we got, you got to, com- we got to compromise here. I hate the way this guitar sounds. We had this vision to be this like, to bring those, we didn't, you know, without being a thrash band, we wanted to bring those elements in to, to Cruel Hand, to what we were doing. And 
yeah, I think it's like still like, you know, being very different than prying eyes. Yeah. People like, if you're a cruel hand fan, it's those two records and, and it's a, it's a toss up for people, you know, they're like, ah, some days it's this one, some days it's that one. I also think they were important because, you know, they were the albums that started to get you guys touring the world. I feel like you became a name. But for me, you know, it, it comes across a bit biased, but I feel like you guys were really getting to a spot in the genre, in the game. And then it feels like everyone kind of forgot about you after the negatives. If, you know, and I don't mean it as an insult. I just mean as a, as a big, big fan of the band... I feel like people kind of started to skim over the new releases, like the negatives and the world won't listen. Do you think it was the fact that maybe you guys started to creatively push yourself or do you think it was maybe just unfortunately how things started to shift because fans now have started to come back, but I feel like fans for some reason disappeared for a bit. Oh dude, we, we like (laughs) those records just killed it killed, it just crushed the spirits of, of, of these, of these people. Um, <laughs> but I, but <laughs> I think it was kind of a, um, a slow burnout to that because I think, um, with lock and key, uh, I just think in between those records, I think we were touring so much, um, just to stay out creating these packages that had very little thought behind them. And that's not just the band's fault, you know, and that's not just the booking agent's fault, but you know, we were just, we were kind of touring to tour, creating these kind of lackluster tour packages. No offense to the, those, some of those bands that were with us. Um, and there was no real strategy to be like, okay, we just toured with, with these, we headlined this, um, let's, let's support on the next run and under this, you know, under someone bigger and, uh, and that'll set us up for the next one. And they'll just keep the, you know, the growth and keep us moving, you know, keep us moving forward. Instead, it was like, just go, go, go. It doesn't matter. Like, let's just tour. People were getting paid. Booking agents were getting paid. Like, um, and you could do that. You can only do that for so long, but and then it's like, oh, Cool Hands coming back. Oh, I can see them next week. I can see them next weekend. Ah, like who are they with? Ew, I don't. Who's that? Who's that band? I don't know. Like, and um, and so the band was at this kind of this weird place, and and then we kind of like. I don't know if it was like a last ditch effort or something. We had these songs written for a record. We have a studio in Maine that is willing to work with us. We, we record this record, the, the negatives out of our own pocket. And now we've got the opportunity to, to shop it around. And, um, with the help of a, of a manager, like we like get interest from hopeless. Um, maybe not the best fit, you know, but they had a, you know, the deal, they were able to really sweeten the deal for us. You know, we were able to like turn that around and, and, and have a band ready to, to be touring and a trailer. And we're like, Oh, like I can't, we can't say no to this. 
Um, and, and now we become part of this, the hopeless family, but you know, a lot of people I think were, I wasn't even very like really super familiar, honestly, with what they were doing. Like, I, you know, I knew them from, from back when they were more of a punk label, but a lot of kids since that, you know, are like, Oh, what are they, what's cool doing on this emo label mm. or something? But at the time, <laughs> at the time I'm like, what does it matter? What does it matter? what label we're on. Like if, if you're, if you're down for us, then you're going to, you're going to support us no matter where we are. And that was kind of naive of me to think that because just because I'm not someone who would turn my back on a band for, for a label move doesn't mean that, you know, hundreds of these other kids, uh, aren't capable of doing, that, you know, um, so, but it was a weird thing. It was also like, at that same time, the morale of the band was so low. Like we lost half the the original members of the band when the record came out. We had, had like a decision to be like, "Hey, this this label's interested. Like they want to put the record out." Like, um, and they're like, "Oh, this is serious now. This is like like I don't want to be touring for the rest of my life. Like I don't want to be like living in a van and and I'm and I was." stubborn you know stubborn me was like well i don't care like i'm doing it with or without you and and people are like well you're doing it without me so it it was a crazy crazy time with the band so now we're touring on this record we've alienated half the hardcore kids uh we're we're and we're doing touring that's like a lot of mixed build touring you know trying to like um a decision for me was to like, I made a decision where I was, okay, I'm making this, this shift into hopeless. Like I'm done saying no to things. Let's start saying yes to more things and just see what happens. Uh, and so now we're doing like, we're taking these, like these way different tours, different, different types of music, like, uh, and it, and it just wasn't, morale was was just was low you know we it was a it was a crazy it was a weird time to it was a weird time i think it's for us you know for everyone that says metalheads are elitist i think you pointed out something that is an unfortunate thing that does come across in the hardcore thing is like you said the elitism of listeners and fans that they look at a release and go because it's on that label i'm not going to touch it is mind blowing to me. It doesn't fucking matter. Like just, just listen. Yeah. <laughs> just listen to it, man. Like, I yeah, don't... yeah, yeah. Give it, a, give it a listen. You know, at least, at least, you know, give it a listen. <laughs> I think the other thing that maybe for me that kind of, I don't know for you if you think it maybe slowed down a bit of the momentum at the time was you guys had been a band that released something within every two years, you know, at that stage. Mm -hmm. And suddenly there was a four year gap between lock and key and the negatives. Do you think that slowed things down? Yeah. And I think even before that, um, the, like, I wish we had never taken a year. So we had been touring so hard on prying eyes. We had a, we had a prying eyes touring like shirt where on the back of the shirt it had, Every tour, every show that we had played in that and on the in that year, and it was every month. It was like every month, like there was tour, there was like a tour happening for us. Like some months, maybe it was just a, like a few, but there was like the, the list is crazy. 
And when we had finished that year off, we made a decision to be like, man, we need to take a, let's take a break. Let's take a year off. And I, looking back, I wish we had never just, I wish we had never put our foot down. And it was like a hard no to shows and offers when they came in. Um, you know, and, and it was, I think that really hurt us. I think that really slowed because we were getting, there was so much momentum at that point. And now we're just like, we're shutting everything down for some reason. Um, and I think that was, that, that killed a lot of momentum. We do lock and key. Now we're trying to rebuild that. Uh, and then, yeah, we're re trying to rebuild that by just like oversaturating. And then, yeah. And then there's like uh, the, that four years of oversaturation. And now we put out this record where it's kind of like a, a fuck you. It's like a middle finger to everyone to be like, yeah, we're doing this on this label. The first track is like a punk song. Eat it. You know, maybe that wasn't the best move either. So it's like, uh, it was almost it's like a career suicide almost, but it was like, yeah, it's my career and I'll commit career suicide if I want to kind of thing. <laughs> but like, I love that album. Though. It, it, I love, I love that album though. There's, there's songs on there like the title track, the negatives, the gasoline, uh, Vigilant yeah. Citizen. There are some fucking yeah. bangers on that album. And I remember yeah. having a mate who was into Cruel Hand. I don't know if he still is. Hopefully he is. And I remember going, have you heard the new Cruel Hand? And he goes, yeah, I didn't even know they were still active. <laughs> like, what do you mean you didn't know yeah. they're still active, man? Like, it's not like 10 years yeah. have passed. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, and dude, for me too, like, that, that song, The Negatives, is one of the my favorite songs that we've ever done. Like, and uh, I don't know if it comes across in this way, but that was our attempt at kind of like a more like a like what like a like a rock mm. like blood for blood kind of vibe song. And that was the vision. And what we created is clearly not that, but it's something very much our own. And it's uh, I love I'm like pr so proud of that of that song. Like, um, yeah, it's crazy. And then, then, you know, you said that was kind of a middle finger album and then it felt like you really were giving the middle fingers to a lot of people that were starting to question who you were because I love it, the world won't listen. I think it's got something in it that is different. I think it's still got things that are the same. I think creatively it was a big curveball, but I love that you guys did it. Did you really just mm -hmm. go, all right, we did one middle finger. We're going to get two middle fingers because if people, <laughs> if people are going to question us on the negatives, let's see them question us now because we're doing something we want to do, not what you want us to do. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, yeah. I mean, it, it, it became something like that where maybe yeah, there was definitely elements of that where it's like, Hey, we know you hate us. We don't care. We're doing whatever we we're doing what we want. And, and you like it or you don't, whatever we're, we're doing it. Um, I feel like your world won't listen was a more focused attempt at the negatives. I think, um, in a weird way, I think like with a lot of the, uh, your world won't listen songs, um, I don't know. We were able to bring some of those more melodic elements 
into those songs and it and still feel like a co you know a, a cohesive piece like as far as an album until you get a, a little further down to like uh liquid paper where we're just like this is a fucking like nirvana song and we're so whatever like <laughs> <laughs> but we but we were like let's instead of opening up the record with like a punk rock track we opened up the record with like a pretty straightforward hardcore hardcore song and and we we left those like you know the curveballs you know we pushed those a little deeper i guess um but yeah, some of those songs too. I, that record for me was like uh, that's probably my one of my you know maybe my favorite record. And we didn't really get to do much with it. Like we we did uh, Warp Tour, and then the record came out that September, and then we had started to lose like like uh, our booking agent and like a manager and things like that. And like I'm like, man, this ship is sinking. People are bailing for real. And I mean, I knew I knew when we were writing that record for sure, like a lot of those lyrics are uh, like, basically those lyrics are about being like, what, what am I doing? Like, mm. why, why, why are we doing this band anymore? Like, like uh, the universe is telling me to stop. I don't think that I'm smart enough, you know, dead eyes watching. Uh, and, and in a bunch of those songs, there's a lot of just like me writing about just this uncertainty and being like, did I do the right thing? Like, is this right? Continuing this band? Like, um, and, and I think that we were able to like create this, this piece of, uh, of, of work that, that really kind of like comes from that, from those, from those feelings, from that emotion and the depth, like not just the music, but like the lyrics, like it's all kind of this is one piece of just like, doubt and uncertainty just put to music you know and then soon after the band kind of like the, yeah we had we were like yo this isn't we got to take a break like i'm not calling it we're not we're not ending it we're not calling it a day we just need to to uh recalibrate here and be like you know figure this shit out because something's not working we don't know what it is but something's not working so what what made you get the fire back underneath you to uh release or basically about to release um dark side of the cage because from what i've heard um andrew sent me a couple of tracks when i had him on the podcast and mm -hmm. dude you guys are back man you, you're pissed off not to say <laughs> not to say you weren't yeah. pissed off but you're pissed off and you're basically mm -hmm. saying you idiots thought we'd changed um here's <laughs> here's the shit here's the shit that all of you kind of elitists want and we're giving it to you because it seems like you, it seems like you're pissed off, Chris. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, I think, I think Dark Side of the Cage, the EP, going into it was, uh, was completely just about us. Mm. We were like, we don't care. We're like, the fact that Jay, the guy who he owns static era when he approached me uh on a territory um coming through connecticut where he's based out of he was like i'm starting a label I, like i want you guys i want you involved um i was like 
scratching my head at that point. I'm like, really? I'm like, you want a cruel hand to rent to like, you want to, you want to put out a cruel hand record? Really? But at the same time, I was like, damn, this dude's got, got faith. He still has faith in the band. I was like, all right, whatever. Like we'll get together and just, we'll, 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 we'll write some music and we'll see what happens. And we weren't thinking about the, the listeners at all, to be honest. We're just like, Let's keep the trajectory kind of like, let's just see what happens. Obviously, we're going to use those elements that we had been using in those last two records, but also let's fucking, let's write some fucking, some pissed off fucking heavy stuff too. Let's see, let's just see what happens. See if that magic is, is, is there. And, um, and that first, the first, um, we did weeds. We went to the studio, mm. we demoed some songs. Weeds came out of that. And Jay was like, he was like, dude, he's like, you guys killed the killed the track. Like, let's let's put weeds out. Let's see what happens. Let's get Zeus to mix it and uh see what happens. And I'm like, we were all super proud of it. It's obviously very different than the songs that we had demoed. And and it's even like a huge step further away from the melodic stuff that we had that we had released even before that but let's see what happens it's fucking life of agony you can't you can't hate <laughs> unless you really unless you really butchered the song you know and i felt like we did a pretty good job of keeping uh staying true to it and that got like such a good response when that dropped and i'm like oh shit okay like we there was zero hate zero hate i'm like okay this is a good sign let's uh Let's keep cracking. Let's let's uh let's keep writing. Let's see what happens. Maybe people won't be so bugged out if if they hear some of those elements in these in the music. Um and uh yeah, but I I feel like so we put that out. Let's give them Dark Side of the Cage to kind of as as the single from the EP. And that really fucking that lit some fire underneath some people. They're like, Oh mm -hmm. shit. Like cruel hand is like, is this is cruel hand. Like they're really doing it. They're like, this is the cruel hand that, that people are, are, are hoping for, you know, I'd be lying to say that you're not going to get those other elements that maybe you don't like, but, but, but fuck it. You know, <laughs> this is, I'm not about being, I don't want to be stuck in that box. I was never about writing music to put a demo tape out that goes down in history as being like, uh, you know, the most like crucial traditional hardcore thing. Like I want to grow like with obviously hardcore through and through, but like, don't box me in ever, you know, I'm going to be the best, the best person I can be when it, like when it comes to, to what I do, you know? So you can't, yeah, just don't box me in when it comes to that stuff. Dude, it, it's, Listeners are gonna like if they haven't already, which as you said, they're already keyed into it. You know, it's gonna garner more attention, and you know, you gotta do what you want to do at the end of the day. And I'm stoked mm -hmm. that you are. You know, it's it's yeah. also as a big fan of the band, I'm stoked that you guys didn't just kind of disappear and then that was it, and then there was like a one-off reunion kind of show. You know, I'm glad that music's right. coming back because I'm someone that 
I don't get the chance because I live in Australia to always go to live shows. So at least I've got new music mm-hmm. to listen to. Um, yeah. So I think it's essential. Um, everyone listening, just fucking, if you can't afford to buy a physical copy, just stream the fuck on it. Just, just yeah. spin it, yeah. spin yeah. it, spin it. <laughs> like, that's all you got to do, man. Like, you know, if you really love Cruel Hand, leave it on. And leave it spinning all day, even if you haven't got your headphones plugged in. Just leave it to spin. Yeah. Just play. Yeah, um, give it a spin, man. Just fucking, we want those streams. Got to, we those man. Streams. We, need, we need you to feel like this was really good, that you're going to do something again. Because we don't want to wait, you know, four more years for something. But, yeah, yeah. No, it's like, um, you know, terror is obviously the, my priority. But, uh, and with Bowie, you know, Fumi Mouth, like, rightfully so. Like, mm-hmm. But, but, uh, Cruel Hand's sitting on music. We're sitting on, we're sitting on music that is, has yet to be, uh, you know, recorded. And, and we want to like, we want to see how this stuff kind of pans out. And until, you know, I won't be satisfied until we can actually perform these songs in some mm. capacity, in some mm. way. So, in like, whether that's a, I don't know if that's a live stream down the line or if that's like a hopefully like an actual show somewhere one day but um i'm gonna be writing music forever you know uh and and yeah hopefully sooner than later i don't want people waiting around but um yeah there's me there's more music to come for sure we're sitting on music fuck yeah now you mentioned terror which some listeners may only know you of terror, but you've only been in terror since around 2017, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. First question is: Do you feel like some listeners have now discovered Cruel Hand because they know of you from Terror? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'm sure there's probably a handful of people. Hmm. For sure. I mean, how could you not? Like Terror has such like I stepped into like to an institution, you know, and hmm. these people are, you know. Terry's got some diehard, fo- you know, followers and 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 uh, who who want to know, who want to dive right in, and they want to know everything, and they want to be part of the the whole thing. So I'm sure um, people have discovered Cruel Hand through that, and that's fucking. Uh, I love that. That's that's really cool. Uh, and I. I wonder, maybe, maybe vice versa. I don't know. Maybe people mm. had, maybe, maybe Cruel Hand was like a tr- training wheel hardcore for some kids, and maybe they went on and discovered other things through us too. And that's fucking really cool too to think about. To think that. Yeah, fuck yeah! Now, yeah. you in Terra, you play bass, so you decided yeah. to mix up instruments again. Um, so, <laughs> first off, you know, obviously, did you? Not obviously, but did you initially come in just to fill in? I think you did from memory. Um, and how did you kind of adjust to being part of such a, you know, legacy band in a, the hardcore scene? Um, well, I, you know, I don't think it wasn't really like a, a fill in period. It was like, um, I think it was more like, okay, let's. Let's bring you in. Like I, I knew that we had United Blood 2017 booked. I knew that ahead of time. Like I knew that for like maybe three, four months before. So I had all this time to really like 
to prepare and practice. I think there was like a like a grace period of being like, okay, is this going to work out? Is this gonna, like is is he the right fit? Like, can we hang? Can we vibe? And I had known those dudes forever, anyways. You know, touring over the years. Um, so it's not like it was complete like like mystery walking into a complete like mystery or whatever but but uh yeah like picking up the bass uh i'm not a bass player i had played you know it's so different than playing guitar even when i had been playing bass for like a year with bane in 2013 um it's just so it's so weird like picking up this thing uh but yeah, now I'm like in terror. I'm trying to focus on bass, but really I'm just about, it's about going off and, and bringing the energy, you know, that, that energy that, that was familiar to me being a front man. I'm able to bring that to the bass. Um, but I gotta, you know, I gotta know my place too. Cause we got a front man, his name's Scott Vogel and I am the <laughs> bass player. So, uh, but at this point, you know, we had, it was so much touring. It's, it's, it, we're just constantly touring where, where soon enough, I'm, I'm, I feel very comfortable with the bass to the point where a guitar feels foreign to me, uh, to the point where being a vocalist in, in, in a band is foreign to me. Um, and yeah, at this point, I just, I feel like, I feel like a bass player, you know, when I'm home, you know, I, I, I got a couple, you know, a couple guitars and stuff, and that I like to sit and and uh, fiddle around with. Um, but you know, there was even a show. I think it was last year where um, David Wood. We were coming through Richmond, Virginia, um, and, and we had this idea like, let's bring David Wood back on stage on bass, and I'll play and I'll play guitar. Um, I think who wasn't there? Maybe Jordan wasn't there or something. But now we're we're uh, it's me on guitar, David Wood on bass, and that was fun as hell. It felt weird as hell playing a guitar on stage, uh, but 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 yeah, yeah. It's ba bass feels like it feels real natural to me at this point, and like I feel like a bass player. I don't feel like just like a guitarist, you know, kind of fumbling through a bass. Like I feel like I feel pretty good with it. So. It's sick, man. And, you know, I remember seeing that um, the announcement that you were, you know, doing bass for Terra. I remember looking at first and going, that's Chris of fucking cruel hand. Oh, shit. Snap. Yeah, buddy. Um, so I think it's I think it's amazing, man. Like, you know, everything that you're doing with Terra, everything that you do or don't do with cruel hand. It's it's just incredible to see that that passion that you had while playing in in the garage to a boombox has now brought you, <laughs> now brought you to across the world you know playing bass or singing vocals and you do it into bands in the scene and it's fucking phenomenal dude it's amazing dude it's crazy man I feel like it, it just feels like. I have like uh, I don't know, just magic. There's this magic in my life. Just I feel like it feels like I've got um, these moments, these kind of milestones throughout my life where, uh, like, 
I just feel, I don't know, I guess you say blessed or something like that, where it's just the, I can look back and see mo- time after time after time where, where the trajectory just kind of like keeps it. I'm, I'm, I know I'm going in the right, the right path, you know, the right direction. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, it's, yeah, I have, I'm, I'm at a loss for words, honestly. It's just <laughs> magic. That's all I can say. It's this, this weird, this weird. I, I, I don't know if you believe in, in destiny or shit like that, but I really feel like I'm, this is part of, this is my destiny to be on the path that I am. And these weird moments in my life that like validate the path that I'm on and these weird synchronicities and things that are like, yes, this is your life. This is why you never doubted it in a, in a second that you'd be here you know, you say, this is it. And, um, yeah, fucking right. Psyched. Fuck yeah. <laughs> um, now what we're going to do to wrap things up is everyone gets this segment. It's called pick your poison. And what happens is we're going to find out what makes you tick. So you get a choice of two <laughs> options. You pick one of the two. Don't need to justify your answer. Uh, but if you're worried, you're going to get cop a little bit of hate. Welcome to justify your answer. Um, <laughs> some are easy, some are hard. Uh, nearly 150 guests, everyone's had it, including Vogel himself. So <laughs> you get you get it as well. We start off with: Would you rather a pizza or a burger? Ooh, pizza or burger? Oh man, I went. I love pizza and I love burgers, but in this moment, right now. I am going to say pizza. Okay. Soft taco or crunchy taco? Ooh. Soft taco. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, 100%. Smooth peanut butter or crunchy crunchy peanut butter? Smooth peanut butter all the way. Coffee or tea? Ugh. Um, I hate coffee, so, and I don't, uh, you know, I don't really drink a lot of tea anyways, but yeah, um, tea because I hate coffee. Uh, Chinese takeaway or Indian takeaway? Um, I'm going to say Chinese, Chinese takeaway. There's nothing like, uh, like American mall Chinese food. Ooh. It's just, yeah. Like, I don't think you can really get that, like in a lot of other places like around the world and you get home and you can get that, you know, that American mall Chinese. I love it. That is just packed with the MSG probably. Yeah. 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 Nothing like it. Um, would you rather cook at home or dine out at a restaurant? (laughs) Dine out. Okay. New movie comes out. You're going to watch it at the cinema or watch it on the couch. Uh, Probably the couch, yeah. Okay, spend the day at the beach or spend the day at the snow? Oh, the beach. I, You know, I live in Maine, but I hate the cold. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, Cat or dog? Dog. Terminator or Predator? Oh, damn. Uh, I'm going to say Predator. Okay. Yeah. Rambo or Rocky? Rocky. James Bond or Jason Bourne? James Bond. Freddie or Jason? 
Freddie or Jason? Uh, Jason. Jason, yeah. Sam. I just finished the Jason uh, Nintendo NES, the original NES. I, I just uh, finished that the oh, other day. That's old school. Love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, South Park or Simpsons? Uh, oh, man. Um, I think those, like, the original, like, the Simpsons. Yeah, I'm going to say Simpsons just because, like, back in the day, it was, it was all Simpsons for me growing up. Anchorman or Step Brothers? Anchorman or Step Brothers? Ooh. Um, I'm going to say Anchorman. Okay. Now we've got some music ones. Um, now, the first one I'm going to ask is pretty hard to ask because you're in one of the bands, but it's Terra or Madball. <laughs> I can't say Terra because I'm in the band, so I've got to say Madball, and I love Madball. Oh. I love it. Um, Slayer or Pantera? Ooh. I'm going to say Pantera. Okay. Cannibal Corpse or Black Dahlia Murder? <laughs> uh, Cannibal Corpse. Metallica or Megadeth? Metallica. Sorry, Dave Mustaine. I know you're listening, but that is nearly 150 guests that haven't picked you. I think there's been one. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. Sorry, Dave. He's. I know he's listening and he's crying. He just he forwards. He's crying. He forwards this entire conversation just to that moment to see if someone picks him. And again, someone hasn't. Um, <laughs> only joking. Um, Marilyn Martin Manson. would choose Megadeth. <laughs> yeah. Well, I th- I think he did. I had him on the show, and I think he's actually the oh. only, I think he's the only one that actually picked Megadeth. I think he was. I can't remember. I have to go back. We, I had him late last year on the show, so I have to go back and have a listen. Um, nice. Marilyn Manson or Rob Zombie? Marilyn Manson or Rob Zombie? Uh, Rob Zombie. Yeah, I didn't have to think about that. Rob Zombie. Uh, sick of it all or Agnostic Front? Agnostic Front. Okay. Offspring or Green Day? Green Day. Okay, and the last few. You're going to play a show when you can eventually play a show again. Do you want to see stage dives happening or mic grabs happening? I want to see... Stage dives. Okay. Well, Vogel's happy that you said that. (laughs) Um, You're going to go to a show. Are you watching from the pit or are you watching from the sound desk? Um, oh, I'm on, I'm on the floor. I'm in the pit. Nice. Now, second, second, last one. You need one to go with the other, but let's imagine that they lived and existed on their own. Would you rather tour for the rest of your life or record music for the rest of your life? Tour for the rest of my life or record music for the rest of my life? Uh, tour. Yeah, it's tour. I'm touring. Okay, and the last tour. last one, the way I give you this album is the only way you can listen to it. So I'm going to give you your all-time favorite album. So let's say I'm giving you Green Day Dookie. Now, the way you get this album is either CD, vinyl, or streamed. How would you like it? And remember, that's the only way you can listen to it. CD, vinyl, or, sh- or stream. Um 
I'm not like super particular about like a format at this point. And so I, I'll probably get heaps of shit for this, but I'm going to just let me stream it. Let me stream it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I remember the Discman days all having a, a Walkman and they were anti-skip, but they weren't anti-skip. Um, so I love, right. I love having it on my phone now. I collect stuff. Yeah, don't get me wrong. But uh, yeah, yeah. if I'm going to listen to it, I only want it on my phone. So, yeah, yeah, you know, I yeah, yeah, exactly. Like people, like at this point, they're streaming music. They're collecting all the other formats. You know, they're not putting that shit on for the most part. They're like framing LPs and things like that. But they're streaming music. Exactly. Um, yeah, Chris. First thing I'm going to say: uh, much love, much respect. Really appreciate this um, as a fan, but also for the show. This meant a lot. Um, thank you for putting you. aside, uh, your time. Thank you for giving me your time. Um, yeah, just thank you, man. Like I really, really appreciate this dude. No, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for, you know, the kind words and, uh, you know, and, uh, yeah, it was great to hear like that your appreciation for some of these cruel hand albums, you know, that may, may, maybe went under the radar or people like, scoffed at and to know that there's people out there who actually appreciate that stuff that means a lot to me man that, that's awesome um next next time and hopefully it won't be too long that you come down to australia i'm taking you out for a feed man take take you out for some yeah. food um uh try and find some crappy chinese food yes, yes. um but yeah i'll i'll stay in touch um and okay thank, yeah thank, i'll be looking out for it Thank you again, brother. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. All right. Take care and have a good rest of your day. All right. Peace. All right, bye.
was my chat with Chris of Cruel Hand and Terror. At the end there you heard a track by Cruel Hand which is called Dark Side of the Cage. That's the title track of their most recently released EP. Second track you heard was also by Cruel Hand. That's titled Threes. That's from their EP titled Born Into Debt We All Owe a Death. Third track was a Cruel Hand track as well. That one was titled Rotations of Hurt which is from the absolute classic album Lock and Key. Final track you heard was a terror track. 
That one is titled Resistant to the Changes. That's from the band's most recent album, titled Total Retaliation. Now's the part of the show where I spark that thing inside you to support the band that's been on the show. So if you enjoyed the music or you enjoyed the conversation at the end there, make sure you get online today, stream it, download it, consume the extensive discography that Chris has been a part of. If you're into physicals, get online, grab yourself a CD, grab yourself a vinyl. And lastly, if you love a bit of merch, make sure you get online, grab yourself a hoodie, grab yourself a shirt, or grab yourself some moss shorts. I have to take this moment to thank Chris again. You're a fucking legend, dude. Thank you so very, very, very much for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. Look forward to touching base with you again soon and doing a part two. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 150. Done, dusted, all wrapped up, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget... You can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.